All right, how many ready to learn about Jesus? Make some noise. Come on, y'all love Jesus. When I say Jesus, y'all say Christ. Say it, Jesus. Say it, Jesus. Woo! Make some noise again for Jesus. Come on. Aren't you happy to be in church? Y'all better be happy. It's like 90 degrees in September. Man, it's almost November. Y'all ain't never had it this nice. This is the best I have ever had in the Midwest. How many can say this is the best right now? Some of y'all don't like hot weather. Don't be hating. Don't be hating. You'll have plenty of time to complain about the cold. But right now, we're going to be happy about the warm weather. I know some of you don't complain about the cold, but, you know, it just takes a couple weeks of being cold, and you all start complaining about that. I'm going to rejoice that I can still wear shorts. I want to believe, God, we can wear shorts in October. How many want to believe me with that? Believe God for that. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Chapter 1, verse 15, name above all names. Who's the name above all names? Who's the one that we love? Who's the one that died on the cross? Who's living in your heart today? Who's coming back as a ruling king? Ain't nobody like Jesus, amen? Nobody is like my Jesus. Today we're in a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. We get to go into one of the most exciting parts of the sermon series. We get to talk all about Jesus Of course, every week it's about Jesus, his word, and what he's doing in our lives. But today we get to talk about the attributes of God. Everybody say, name above all names. Thank you. I believe that today you're going to be refreshed and encouraged to know who your Jesus is. In the prayer of Paul, he starts here in verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And as your pastor, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I hope that you continue to live for God, love Him, obey Him. I I hope that you see in your life the change that the Bible promises, that you see his word to be true. That is my prayer for you, and I don't take this for granted. You guys could be anywhere today. You guys could have chosen to go to a church maybe right by your neighborhood. We have people that come as far as Volo, Elgin, uh, Streamwood. We have people that come from the south side all the way, who are Sox fans, believe it or not, all the way over there. Yeah, over there, over there, somewhere over there. Yeah, there's actually Sox fans in Chicago, and they come to this church, and you, you pass churches on the way here. Literally on my way here, I pass one of the biggest churches of Chicago. I live right by Willow Creek, right by Harvest Bible Chapel, and right by Life Changes. And I pass them all to come here because a church alive is worth the drive. Amen? Now, nothing against those churches. I'm just saying this is a church that God's called me to be at. And some of you all think pastors can't quit. You all haven't been around church long enough. Pastors can quit too. You know, sometimes people are like, I'm quitting on this church. I don't like all the people. Listen, if I did that, I would have quit a long time ago. But you know what I found out as a pastor is there's just no difference in people. You can you can take me right now and put me in Willow Creek, and there'll be people who like what I have to say, don't like what I have to say, people who will choose to follow the word, and it just doesn't matter what people you find. you got to find the people who are willing to follow Jesus, okay? So it's not like there's a certain personality or if you have a certain kind of income. No, 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 no. It's all those who want to live for Jesus are going to do Jesus' will. So I thank God for those other churches, but I thank God that you're here. Will you look at your neighbor and say, thank you for coming. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remember you in my prayers. Thank you for telling them that so I find and have a chance to do so. I keep asking, what does Paul keep asking? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You see the Trinity there, Father, Son, Spirit. Why does Jesus have a God? Jesus has a God because he came in the flesh and he submitted himself to the Father. He has been eternally submitted to the Father, but in the flesh as a man. And he needed to be exalted to the place at the right hand of the Father. And so Jesus sets the example for humanity on how to obey God. But just because Jesus has a God, that does not mean Jesus is not equally God. Are you listening? I am a father to my children, and I have a father. I am both at the same time. I don't stop becoming, uh, I don't stop having a father just because I am a father, okay? So Jesus is equally God as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
but he does have an authority. He has the Father God over him, not in any attribute. We do not believe that Jesus is less than God than in any way. So whatever the Father is, Jesus is. Can I hear an amen? But we believe in the eternal subordination of the Son. And this is how we understand the Trinity and the Athanasian Creed is that the Son has always eternally submitted to the Father. Now watch this. And the Spirit has always submitted to the Father and the Son. When you read the book of Acts and the book of John together, you see that the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't speak on his own behalf. He speaks on the behalf of the Son. So just because the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit only speaks on behalf of Jesus doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is less than uh, God as the Father and the Son are. Remember, Jesus taught us there's one name for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one authority, one Yahweh that encompasses our triune God. There it is. Now, what is he doing? Paul says, I keep asking God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ that you may have the spirit of what? And what? Revelation, so that you may know him better. That's my prayer for everybody here, that you may know Jesus better, that you may know the Father better by the Holy Spirit. How does it come? By the Holy Spirit, from wisdom and revelation of God. And so I had a debate with an atheist last week online. We do our 301 class, and you can go back and check it out on What Do You Believe? It's our page that's dedicated to our online discussions. We debated a Muslim there and just an atheist last week. And here you go. It's really simple, God or no God. That's, that's everything. That's what it reduces down to. Everything in the world can either be explained by God or no God. And can no God explain anything? Of course not. Nothing can explain nothing. It doesn't make sense to say that, or rather nothing can explain something because it's nothing. From nothing, nothing comes. And so when we talk about the things of God, it would make sense that you would be made in the image of God because you have a mind. You're not just a body. You're not just a brain. So when it would come to understanding the spiritual things of God, wouldn't it have to come from the spirit to your spirit? When you talk to yourself, do you talk to yourself with a megaphone into your ear or do you talk to your spirit? Well, which do you do? Am I talking too fast and losing you guys? Because I want you guys to pay attention. I really want you to answer my questions today. Okay, when you talk to yourself, do you talk to yourself with a megaphone or do you talk internally to your spirit? Okay, so if God is a spirit, is he going to speak to you with a megaphone to this thing we call an ear or to your spirit? Now, it may be a trick question. He can do both. But what is the way that he promised he would do it continually as a normative practice? To your what? Your spirit. To your spirit. And so we get the spirit of wisdom and revelation about God from the Holy Spirit to our spirit. I call the Holy Spirit like the Wi-Fi of heaven. It connects you in. He connects you in to all the things that the Father is saying about Jesus. And remember, the Father, even though, now this is what's amazing. We'll get into this today. Even though the Father has authority over the Son, like I have authority over my wife, but we're both human in nature, are, are my wife and I different in nature? No, we're both humans by nature, right? But I have authority over her. Are my children different in nature than me? even though I have authority over them. So remember, just because the Father has authority over the Son doesn't mean they're of a different divine nature. They are of the same nature. Just because the Father and Son have authority over the Holy Spirit doesn't mean they're different in nature. They share the same nature. Are you all learning the Trinity today? Amen. Now that's important for Paul to explain things to you because it's all about being in Christ. And when we're in Christ, we have a relationship with the triune God. Hence that triangle there representing our triune God when we're in Christ. We are in Him. And that is the sermon series. But now watch this. When we have the spirit of revelation to know him better, something is going to happen. And this is what I preached on three weeks about right here. I preached three weeks on being enlightened to these things that Paul wants you to know spiritually. Enlightened to hope, enlightened to the glorious inheritance, and enlightened to the imparably, incomparably great power of God. Okay? So I pray, Paul says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Is he talking about the organ we call the heart? No, he's talking about your spirit. May be enlightened in order that you may know. So the same way you know physical things, you know science, you know mathematics, you know the natural order of the world, God wants you to know the spiritual order of the world. Can I get an amen? And what is that? What is Jesus teaching us as we're getting to know him better, as our hearts are open to him, what does he want us to know? The hope to which he called you, comma, the glorious inheritance in his holy people. How many saints do I have here today? 
right? You're either a saint or an ain't, and I'm a saint, amen? This is written to the saints, the people of Ephesus. And then number three, verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So three things you are to know in your spirit, the hope that God gives, his glorious inheritance, and his incomparably great power. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now watch this. Last week, you guys let me give a little bit of a correction to the church because the week prior, I said, I want you to write down 10 things you struggle with but have their answer in the Bible, come with them listed, and the scriptures next to them, and combined in first and second service, we had about 250 people. We only had five people claim the gift that I wanted to give you all for doing your homework. So that means a lot of you guys did not do your homework. And then I basically corrected you because I said you can't have hope, you can't have inheritance, you can't have power uh, activated in your life unless you know the Word of God because that's where these things are hidden. The treasures of God through Jesus Christ are given through His Word. He gave us the illustration of a man hearing the words but not putting them into practice is like a foolish builder building their house on sand. How many want to build their house on sand? Nobody, right? And so he said, those who hear my words, put them into practice. Is like a man who built their house on the rock. How many want to do that? Build your house on the rock, right? So you can't just be hearers of the words. You just can't come here and listen to it. You've got to activate. And that's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have to continually hear the word of God so that faith grows in your heart. The Bible says faith is increasing in the believer's life when the word is coming. So if the word's not coming, faith is not coming. It's, di- it's decreasing. It's dying. So are you hearing the word this week? Are you putting on your headphones? I've asked you from the beginning of February as we started this series of Ephesians to listen to the book of Ephesians every week or read it every week. Only takes 20 minutes. I do it multiple times a week. Are you listening to the word? Because if you are, faith is coming. And then the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God because you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So God does not reward those based on pity. He does not reward you based on the tears you cry. He does not reward you based on the problems you have in your life. Basically, if your life is not where it is supposed to be according to God's plan, it's your fault, not God's fault. Let me pause and say that doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to good people. I'm not saying cancer is your fault. We lost a dear brother in the faith, Nabil Qureshi, this past week, a Muslim convert who came to know Christ and spent the last 10 years of his life being a brilliant scholar for the Lord died of cancer. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking primarily internally. If you don't like your thought life, that's your choice. Internally, if you don't like the way that you see things happening in your life, the way you view the world, if you don't have hope, other words, if you don't have an inheritance look forward to. And if you feel powerless, that's because you're not connected to the power source of God. Are you listening to me? Can I get an amen? Amen. So thank you for that. And so if you want to basically hashtag it, you could hashtag it like this. Hope, inheritance, power. Get you some. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with something cool here, but there's, there's something real that activates in our Christian life that makes us different than the world. Jesus raised from the dead. We should have hope. We should have the belief of an inheritance, and that should motivate us, and we should have that power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, verse 21 is our passage for today. Would you read it with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's Jesus. That's who he is. He's far above all of these things, and he's not only that in this age, but in the age to come. Verse 22 and 23, I'll read now. And God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. Is the church important according to the Bible? Church is very important. It's his bride. It's his body. It is the pillar and foundation of truth, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Today's message will not be long, but it will be powerful. I want you to hear this introduction quickly. There is no one like Jesus. From his pre-existence as the eternal Logos, which means word in the Greek, his virgin birth, his sinless life, his miraculous works, his revolutionary teachings, his substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the world, his verified resurrection to his ascension to heaven. He is and forever will be God from God, light from light, true God from true God. No one is like our Jesus. 
Paul had an understanding of Jesus. He prayed that all that he was teaching them that would come around Jesus, that everything would revolve around Jesus, that they would know Jesus better. Here's the breakdown of this prayer, and we've gone through it. Now we're on number seven of this breakdown as we go verse by verse through Ephesians. And he ends this powerful prayer in the name of Jesus, telling us that his name is above every name and that Jesus is the head of the church. So come next week as we learn about the church and how he fills everything in every way. Jesus is the ruler and the judge of all. I want you to think about this, that Jesus first came to conquer our hearts, and soon he'll come again to conquer the world. The Jewish people missed this. They had the prophecies. They believed that there was to be a Messiah, but they didn't understand that he needed to die for sins. They did not connect together the conquering king with the suffering servant. They didn't understand passages in the Bible like Isaiah 53 that says, Surely he bore our griefs. Our sins were upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All they saw was the end, the party to come, in other words. And so when Jesus came, they thought he was blaspheming because he doesn't have a sword like David to prove that he's the Son of God. The miracle should have been enough, but that wasn't enough for them because if God really came in the flesh, God would end the oppression of the Romans. If God really came in the flesh, God would rule the world. He wouldn't be hanging out with fishermen. Jesus wouldn't just be blessing children and healing the sick. They arrested him based on his teachings, not the teachings of a revolutionary with a sword saying, I'm coming to conquer you, but on blasphemy charges because he literally said he was greater than Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. He said, before Abraham was, I am. In the Greek word, he said, ego am I, but that is to the same of the Hebrew understanding, the great I am of Moses. When Moses asked God, who should I say sent me when I go to the Egyptians and to the Jewish people? God said, say that I am, that I am has sent you. So in other words, when Jesus was asked who he was and he said, before Abraham was, I am, the Jews understood this, that he had just said, I am the God of Israel. I am your God. And before there ever was in Israel, before your Abraham ever was born, I was there. The Bible says picking up rocks, they wanted to stone him. It was based on those charges of him being a false king that they arrested him. And here in John 18, 33 through 37, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Somebody say, but now. But now my kingdom is of another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Oh, snap. How many know at this point you cannot look at Jesus and say he's only a mere man, only a good person, only a prophet? You can't do it. This is why the Muslims who believe Jesus was only a prophet have to say this is hearsay, make-believe. But the problem is these these recollections are in our earliest manuscripts of the Bible. As true as the Bible is, is as true as this account is. The people of the world say Jesus lived and died, and yes, he was crucified, and we can't figure out quite why an innocent man who taught, you, taught people to love their neighbor was, but somehow he was crucified. And yes, disciples believe he raised from the dead, but we don't know why they had that belief. Maybe it was cognitive dissonance. Maybe they made it up. Maybe it was an hallucination. Yet, however, the Bible tells us why they believe that. Because the disciples actually quit on Jesus after the crucifixion. Some did right at the time of the arrest. Ran away and left him. Peter went back to fishing after he betrayed him three times. Judas hung himself. The disciples did not want to start another religion called Christianity based upon a Messiah dying. Looked like a total object failure. Our Messiah is supposed to be a king, and yet he died as a mere animal like a dog hanging from a tree. 
Why did they come to believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Why did they come to worship him? Mary had other children after the virgin birth of Jesus that were rightfully born of Joseph. James and Jude, authors of the Bible, the half-brothers of Jesus, worshipped him. They were convinced by the resurrection appearances. Thomas, even putting his hand into the nail nail, uh, pierced hands, touching him and knowing that he was real. Paul, who was himself a Jew, part of the people that wanted him crucified, on his way to arrest Christians, saw a vision of the risen Lord Jesus, converted to Christianity, and became Rome's number one enemy and was beheaded under Nero. Did he make up the story to be beheaded for his own death? Some people say, well, religions believe lies all the time, but they're lies based on hopes in the future. If I blow myself up, in this building or a jihadi warrior, then I'll get to paradise. That wasn't the reason why Christians died. They died because they said, I saw him. It's a fact. They died because of their testimony. I saw him. They crucified uh, Peter because of his testimony. Then he said, I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. Crucify me upside down. They speared Thomas in India. They beat them alive, to, uh, beat them to death. They skinned them alive. And it was all because of this one testimony. Jesus is king of kings. He has risen from the dead, and he is Lord of lords. When Jesus was on this earth, he was very clear about who he was, that there was nobody else like him. Oftentimes, he might have spoken a little bit cryptic. It might have a little bit difficult to understand if you didn't know where he was coming from. But he did that on purpose because he wasn't here as a superhero. He came as a man to be the lamb sacrificed. You see, they understood the Jewish people as a conquering king, but they didn't know the God of love who wanted to conquer their hearts. And so basically what Jesus is saying here is, my kingdom is not on this world yet. If it was, everybody would fight for me, and angels would drop it like it was hot and nuclear, just devastate this place. Come on, somebody. Just see what they did to Sodom and Gomorrah. But he says, no, it's time for me to die. When Peter heard this, In Matthew chapter 16, Peter tried to stop him and say, God forbid, Lord. And Jesus looked right at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. It was for this reason that he came. It was the reason why God, the eternal son, became man, so that man might be saved. It was man and woman, but humanity in general, who lost the blessing of God in the garden. It was man that must give it back. So if God is going to fix the problem, he must become like one of us. And in becoming like one of us, he doesn't lose his divinity. He just sets it aside. He doesn't use his privileges. He comes as a man to walk among us as a man, not glowing, not doing things that a man couldn't do. And whatever miracles you saw him do, he did as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why after his baptism, the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. So the same way he walked on water, it's the same way he could call out Peter to walk on water. In other words, it wasn't his God-like power that allowed him to walk on water because Peter wasn't God and he walked on water. It was the Holy Spirit that allowed him to do so and allowed Peter to do so. That's why he said to his disciples, it's good that I go because when I go, the Holy Spirit will come. He will teach you more things. And where he is at, there will be power. There will be conviction of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. And then you will do what I've been doing and even greater works than these. Not greater works as more impressive, but greater in number. He only had a three and a half year ministry. Now we can live for 80 years doing the works of God. Can I hear an amen? And so was Jesus the king that he called himself? Was he the king that the father said he was? Yes. The prophecies work this out. Look at Daniel 7, 13. 400 years before the time of Jesus, Daniel prophesies that the Messiah will come and will be like this. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest prophecies we have in the Bible is of Daniel, and Revelation quotes more from Daniel than any other book in the Bible. It says, in my night vision I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. By the way, many of you get confused when you hear the title Son of Man. You think Son of God refers to Jesus' divinity, and Son of Man refers to his humanity. That is not correct, though he had two natures in the one person we know as Jesus. But the Son of Man is a title of divinity. This is the way the ancient people looked at the God-man in the future. They didn't know any other way to describe him other than he looked like a man, but he had so much more power than a man. Angels can look like men, but this one was the angel of the Lord, specifically sent by Yahweh to speak as Yahweh. Who does Gideon meet? 
the angel of the Lord. Who does Moses meet in the burning bush? The angel of the Lord. He doesn't speak on behalf of God. He speaks as God. He's a very unique kind of angel. Angel, not with wings. By the way, no angel has wings. Seraphim and cherubim have wings. The word angel just means messenger. Messengers can come from heaven like Michael and Gabriel without wings looking like a man. Two of them came with Yahweh in the book of Genesis to meet with Abraham. But once again, this is not like an angel because angels always tell the people, don't worship me, worship God. But whenever the specific title in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord comes, the son of man comes, he is worshiped. He's bowed down to, and he receives it. That's why Moses had to take off his shoes in the burning bush. There was our God, pre-incarnate, what we call a Christophany, Christ before his birth, meeting face to face with Moses. He did it again on the mountain and made Moses' face glow for about 40 days. It was the same incarnation, pre-incarnation, that we see that the other priests would, would have, have in the uh, holy of holy places at the Ark of the Covenant. This throne was where he sat. He always had a throne. Remember this. When he's given a throne, it's being given now as a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, but the eternal Logos always had the throne. Can I hear an Amen. Thank you. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, who was the Father and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power over all nations, peoples of every language, worshipped him. What did they do? They worshipped him. I thought we're only supposed to worship the Ancient of Days. So now we have a problem. Either the Son of Man is God as the Ancient of Days, or now there are two gods getting worshipped. Are we polytheists or monotheists? The Jehovah Witnesses are polytheists. They believe that Jesus is a separate created God and can be worshipped. That is polytheism. Isaiah chapters 40 through 43 teaches he gives his glory to not to any other, and there is no God before him or after him. He is the only God. We are the witnesses of that. That's a true Jehovah Witness is to witness to the one God. There is one God in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mormons are polytheists, teaching that God was once a man. He became God by his good deeds, now has a God, goddess mother, making spirit babies, and that's what we were in the life before we came here. Jesus, now as we know him, was a spirit brother of Satan. They fought in heaven of who would be the ruler of this world, and Satan lost, and that's why he became who he was. And dark-skinned people are the result of Satan's fall, and that's why they were a racist organization for many years, believing that dark-skinned people were cursed as Cain was cursed. Are you listening to me? Polytheism. We are not polytheists. We believe in one God revealed in three persons. So this one is given worship just as the ancient of days. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What is the number one title that Jesus uses of himself while he's upon the earth? Does anybody know? The son of man. That is his title. Why is he doing that? Because he's saying, I am literally the son of a man? No. Joseph was not his father. He was born, incarnated by the Holy Spirit. That's where he got his physical body from. But he is using the terminology son of man, referring not only to Daniel, but the multiple places where the son of man is given worship and authority and power. He's saying, I'm here, boys. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 31 and onward. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Does he have a glorious throne? Yes, all the nations will be gathered before him. Before who? Him. Who is him here, the Son of Man, and who is the Son of Man? Jesus. And he will separate the people as one, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Who's going to judge you? Who's going to judge Muhammad? Who's going to judge Buddha? Who's going to judge Hillary Clinton? Who's going to judge Trump? Who's going to judge you? Jesus. Every knee will bow, tongue confess before his throne. Only those who do it now get to be his sheep. Kiss the son lest he become angry and destroy you in his wrath. The wrath of God will be poured out upon this earth. You deserve it and I deserve it. The cross of Jesus Christ says he took it for you. The cross represents the wrath of God. I'm going to say it again. The eternal Logos, the Son who existed with the Father forever, before there was even time, took on flesh to conquer your heart, to save your soul. You don't do that now. He will destroy you forever in hell. You will have no excuse. Your conscience bears witness that you are not your own creator. Your inner thoughts bear witness to you that you are of a spiritual substance and not the organ, the brain that they can scan. 
Your morality is a check to your conscience that you don't even live up to your own standards, but you know that they're there on the inside of you. And every breath that you take is codependence upon a God who gave you lungs to breathe. And everything you see with your eyes, hear with your ears, touch with your hands, taste with your mouth, smell with your nose is a testimony of the image of God in you. Bow your knee before the Son of Man. Amen? Because he came to conquer your heart first. People say all the time, well, if there's a God, why is there evil? Because he loves us and gave us a choice. He didn't make us robots. Well, if he loves us so much, why didn't he get rid of evil? Okay, let's start with you. Get rid of you then. How many like the cross as a better start to getting rid of evil? You want God to get rid of evil without the cross? Okay, Adam and Eve, you go to hell, and the entire human race that I already destined inside of you will come forth in hell. No choice. They all deserved it because you were their federal head. You were the representation of all of them. They would have never done differently than you. You represented them. We could have hit reset, reset, reset. And to all, whatever I planned to come from humanity, all 10 billion, 100 billion would have come forward. Everyone would do it individually. Anyways, let's just do it now. Hell and all of them will be birthed as souls in hell. The cross sounds a lot better than that, doesn't it? Angels don't get a second choice. They're going straight to hell. Do you understand that? But we get a second choice. How many want to be the sheep of God? Can you become a sheep of God in your own human effort? You can no more make yourself a sheep of God than a goat can make itself a sheep today. We are born again by the Holy Spirit, not of works, not of works. Listen to me. I didn't make myself a Christian November 5th, 1995, which is about ready to become 22 years this November. Jesus made me a Christian. I was born again. I had nothing to do with my first birth. I have nothing to do with my second birth. Only thing that Bible says we are commanded to do is to put our faith and trust in him. That is it. I am not saved by my own works, but I do get a choice to be saved. Are you listening to me? What is your choice, to remain as a goat under just condemnation or to put your faith and, and, and hope in Jesus Christ and be a sheep? Who do you want to be? Make the noise of what you want to be. <laughs> It's fun to be in church. Serious, but it's fun. Philippians 2.9, Paul says, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now remember this one more time. If he was already the Son, why does he need to be given this authority? Because remember, the Logos always existed. Jesus did not. When you hear the Scripture, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is going to the Logos in his nature. But Jesus, the person, was born. 2,000 years ago, the God-man, the God-son of God becoming man never existed until he had the virgin birth, what we call the incarnation, the kenosis. Now, some may say, doesn't that change now the nature of God? No, because the eternal God never changed in any way. He just took on flesh on our behalf. Now, somebody says, is, is that does that change his immutableness, that now the Son of God takes on flesh? No, because the immutableness is still the same in the divine nature. Taking on flesh does not change the immutability of the divine nature. In other words, one of us has been made the ruler of all of us. Do you understand that? I can tell you the joke. I think some of you need the joke. Catholic and a Jew, they were arguing together. The Catholic said, my, my uncle just got promoted to cardinal. I'm so happy for him. He's a cardinal now in the Catholic church. The Jew says, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed at all. Well, what's, what, what, why aren't you impressed? What if he became pope? Would you be impressed? Then he said, no, I still wouldn't be impressed. And he said, my goodness, what would impress you? He said, well, one of ours became the king of kings and the Lord of lords. See, born of the Jewish faith, the son of David. This is what Jesus actually said to the people. How is it that David says in Psalm 110 that David said this, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. How can he be the Messiah, the descendant of David, but also be David's Lord? Some of you are confused by the question. David said in the Psalm, I have a Lord and then I have another Lord. And the Lord that I call my Lord, that I interact with, like the Son of Man of David, the one, I don't get to see the Ancient of Days much, but the Lord that I do see, that one is also my Son. How is that? Are you listening? You see, the eternal Logos, who was equal with the Father, but not the same person, but equal in divinity, came and became, became a man through the lineage of David. And so David now calls him Lord even though he has the body that came from David's DNA. 
Now, I could just tell you a bunch of silly stories, or I could tell you about how to know him better. How many know Jesus better right now? When you see Jesus, you will touch flesh. That came from the DNA of David. When you see his spirit, you're seeing the spirit of the eternal God. Think about that. Revelation 17, 14 says they will wage war with the lamb. Why is he called the lamb? Isn't he just only the king? No, he's the lamb slain. This is the lamb of the Passover, the one that they saw as a shadow. What would you rather have, the iPhone or the iPhone shadow? A million dollars or the million dollar shadow? What would you rather have, a Passover sacrificial lamb or the lamb of God crucified for your sins, raised from the dead? They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords, the king of kings, and with him he, and, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Can I get an amen if you're called? Can I get an amen if you're chosen? Can I get an amen if you're a faithful follower? Come on, somebody. Revelation 20, 40 through 6 says, I saw thrones. Do you know that the disciples get thrones to rule and reign on in the name of Christ? I saw thrones in which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. Isn't it something that 2,000 years now later we read this and hear that the primary way that Christians were suffering and being killed in the book of Revelation was from being beheaded? What is the primary place that right now nine of the ten countries that are the worst to be in as a Christian, what are they by religion? Muslim, what is their chosen way of killing Christians in nine of these ten countries, beheading them? Those people are there under the throne of Jesus Christ because of their testimony and because of his word. They had not worshipped the beast or its image, which is coming one day, and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands, which we now know can easily be done. They had come to life and reigned with Christ. How many years? How many years will you rule and reign with Christ? A thousand years. Upon this earth, we will rule and reign with him. As literally as he walked here the first time, he will walk here a second time. As literally as you are here now the first time, you will be here again a second time. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. They stayed in hell. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Why did Jesus raise from the dead as a body? Not only as a spirit, why didn't he just ditch the body after he was crucified for us and said, hey, I don't need this anymore, is because as surely as he lives, we get to live. His source of life to a human body is our source of life in the first resurrection for all of eternity. The second death has no power over them. The second death is the death of judgment of hell and hellfire. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Can I hear an amen? How many things is Jesus the ruler over? Come on, somebody say all or everything. I want you to look at this chart in closing, please. Jesus is over every rule and authority. Jesus is over every power and dominion. Jesus is over every name. The God-man, our great Savior, is over everything you're facing today. In your heart, think about the hardest things you're facing today and place him above it. People who are suffering from natural disaster today. I have a lot of friends in Houston. Jesus is above the problems of natural disaster. My wife explained it simply. Don't get twisted. It's such an easy answer. If you're a non-believer in God, remember every answer comes down to these two categories. And we could do a little game up here and have little buckets. And we could do like the Bozo Show. I'll give you ping pong balls. And you put the ping pong balls into the things that give the answer, the correct answer. God, no God. Okay? Natural disaster. God or no God. Oh, you say that's easy. No God. But then why do you care? Well, better take that ping pong ball out. Seems like we were meant to live a different kind of life in a different kind of world, doesn't it? Why do our gardens look so beautiful before the storm comes? And why isn't everything just a storm? Why isn't everything just the planet of Saturn? Well, I, the natural disaster may have an issue with the Garden of Eden. And when we sinned and the body was brought under a curse and so was the natural order. Oh, we'll put the ping pong ball there then, won't we? What about evil and suffering, all the pain we see in children, all the innocence that we see that gets hurt in this world? Oh, we'll easily put no God. There can't be a God because of that. Well, hold, 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 hold. 
How do you even recognize good from evil? What's the difference between raising your children and eating your children? No, God, it doesn't matter. You shouldn't even have a problem with this. Hyenas in my neighborhood hunt the dogs, and I can hear them catch them every now and then. They start screaming and hollering, catching cats and raccoons. Dog-eat-dog world without a God. Is that how you want to live? No, we put that back over here. Jesus is above everything even that you're afraid of. I want you to get that in your heart today. Don't let the problems of this world make you think there is no good God. Look at the Bible and all the people who have suffered and see how God has been faithful to them. Jesus is above every world leader. Jesus is above Hitler. Hitler does not get away with it. No God. Hitler gets away with it because he's nothing. He doesn't exist anymore. His body turned to dust. Good job, Hitler. You won. You got to be in charge, play Monopoly the way you wanted. You don't have anything to fear in death. You get to just evaporate. Is that the way it is? Or the moment he took his life in the eagle's nest in Austria, did he just go right into an eternal judgment called hell? Jesus is above Hitler. Jesus is above every world leader. Jesus is above every government. They said to us in the Roman Empire, we will crush you. We will burn your Bibles. We will behead your apostles. We will set you on fire as Roman candles and line our roads. We will put you in gladiator arenas naked with your children to be eaten alive, and we will cheer for your death. We will stomp you out now. 313 A.D., the emperor of Rome bowed his knee to Jesus Christ and confessed Christ as Lord without one sword, without one battle, brought Rome to its knees. My friends, Jesus is Lord of America today, whether she wants, her, wants him to be her Lord or not. Jesus is Lord over politics. We may disagree over the nuances of how we do this in Libertarian, Green Party, Republican, Democrat, but we better understand Jesus is Lord of them all. We better start praying that every politician fears God. Because listen to me, if you don't have a problem lying to your boss, you shouldn't have a problem with your politicians lying to you. Oh, yeah, boss, we worked on it. We were here till 5.30. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, we got it. No, we actually left at 4.30. Just don't tell him. Isn't it something? We'll lie to our boss. We'll lie to our spouse. We'll lie and do all of this, and then we get mad when people lie at us. It's, this is what C.S. Lewis said. We all believe in, you know, uh, situational ethics or, or relativism, like whatever works for you works for you, whatever works for you. We all believe in that, C.S. Lewis said, until somebody steps on our foot on the bus, and then we get mad and say, hey, I don't like your ethics. You better bring your ethics to a higher standard. But the moment somebody looks at us and says, hey, I don't like your ethics, what do we say? Don't you judge me. Don't you judge me. You got your way, I got my way. Like I said, then once they get their foot stepped on the bus, oh, I don't like your way now. Even in the gangs, we're ruthless. We're ruthless. We hate everybody. We're going to kill up everybody. But fam, but fam, you, you my fam, you my homie, you my blood. Let, let them betray each other in the gang and see how much they love each other. The moment they treat each other like they treat those out there, you see their double standards. Everybody fails at their standards, including politicians. That's why we need God to raise the standard. He has power over death. The greatest fear you and I will probably ever face is death. But the Bible says literally, death, where is your sting? Go back and watch Nabil Qureshi's videos from hospice care in his last dying days. Powerful, powerful. Death had no sting on my brother. My aunt was in hospice dying of lung cancer, uh, bone cancer. And when I went in, my aunt says, I've been praying for you. I'm like, you are dying and you are praying for you, praying for me. Oh, yes, because Jesus still hears my prayers. I looked to my Catholic relatives and I said, saints aren't in heaven praying for us. Saints are on earth and there's one right here. That's what a real saint looks like because he never told me to ask them to pray for me. Are you listening? Leave that up, please. He never asked me to pray to someone that's already in heaven. He said, ask for the people right here to pray for you, and there you go. 
had worship music on in her room. He's above Satan and demons and all the things that are twisted up in there. I'm not saying everything is Satan's fault, but I believe as a pastor, as I have seen a lot of mental anguish in this generation, a lot of it is induced by Satan. I'm not saying throw away your meds and say, I bind you, Satan. I'm just saying those of you who are struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts or anxiety or any of these kinds of mental anguish, please take your Holy Ghost medicine. Come to Jesus every day and start speaking his word over your life. Look at Jesus and what he suffered on the cross and know he suffered for your mental anguish. There is one person who knows your pain and his name is Jesus. He knows it identically. Because on the cross when the sun turned three, when the sun turned black at three in the afternoon, it was because the sin and the pain and the sorrow was put on Jesus. So as surely as he took my sin, he took my, my sorrows. And he took yours too. And he took your suffering. Are you listening? He's over sin. He's over sickness. He's over sorrow. And you know what else he's over? He's over Buddha. Now I want you to get this. You can do math as a Buddhist, but the moment you start talking Buddhist stuff, you're wrong. Okay? So I love Buddhist people. I love Hindu people. I love Muslim people. But the moment you talk about the spiritual things, we got to hold you to the standard of truth. Just like we were talking math things. And, and somebody's like, oh, you guys are just so hateful. You guys believe you're the only ones. Let me ask you a question. How many right answers are there to 2 plus 2? How many right answers are there? How many potential wrong answers are there? So what do you want me to do? To try to figure out how all the wrong answers can work together to make the world a better place? Or do you want me to exalt and teach the right answer? Now here's the beauty of America. It's America may have Christians and we're a nation, so that way we're a Christian nation. But America is not ruled as a theocracy, and that was the plan. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and the framers of the Constitution understood democracy, best ideas winning, is the way to go. So I have no problem. As a matter of fact, I love freedom of religion because the moment you put a church in charge and I want to leave that church, now you're going to try to get me in jail. And that's what they did in England. You didn't like the Church of England, now you're going to jail. Hello, that's why a lot of the pilgrims came. Are you listening to me? I, I love it. I got it. But here's the idea. We'll win every single time. That's why I go to Wright College. Everybody look up at me. I'll be there Monday, tomorrow, 2 to 3. Billy will be there with me. Now watch. I love that I get to talk to the Muslims there. You know why? Because in 90% of their countries, I can't even do that to them. Anti-conversion laws, anti-blaspheming laws, and blasphemy to them is saying Muhammad's not a prophet. Are you listening? So I'm so glad I get to talk to him because you know why? Now we get to have the capitalism of religious ideas. Okay, put it down now. Show me the money, honey. Let's talk about the Quran. Let's talk about your religion because this is God-blessed America. I ain't afraid of you cutting my head off. Now you may say that's not nice because they're so nicer than that. But ask them the key questions. Do you agree with the Islam of Muhammad? Islam of Muhammad's definition was a beheading Sharia law Islam. So you can't have a different Christianity other than Christ. Are you listening? If I kill you in the name of Jesus, am I a good Christian? No, but if I kill you in the name of Islam, am I a good a Muslim? Absolutely. That's the difference. Study it out. Not to be rude, that's what it is. So what should we exalt? Jesus. What would you put under there today? Are you facing hardships financially? going through times with your family, rejection emotionally, what would you put there? I mean, I can't list them all, but I want you today to hear what Paul is praying for you. And I'm praying for it as well, that you will be enlightened to know the power, the glorious inheritance, the hope, that you will see by the wisdom and revelation that Jesus is above every name, not only in this world, but in the world to come. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus? Come on, King of Kings, give it up like you mean it. Band and altar workers, would you come? Right now, give God three things in your life that are important to you and set him above it. If you've already done this before, it's okay, but just reiterate it. Three things right now, God, you are above in my life right now. Jesus, you're above my family. You're above my finances. Jesus, you're above my hopes and dreams. As you start to pray right now, Adam's going to sing a song that we wrote about this. 
as he sings. We'll dismiss in just a moment, but don't leave yet. Take time to pray to Jesus. To the Father, in the name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, it's your turn. Come on. You're the greatest love what is Jesus of all. above today? You're the greatest love of all. Yes, he's above all. But is he above all, all in your life? You call me out. It's your name. choice today. Yes, you call me out. You don't have name. to make him the Lord of your life. I'll That's why there's a place called hell. You can live eternally oh, without him. But how many want to live with him for eternity? Jesus. Set him above everything. If you haven't made him the Lord of your life, say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Give him the throne of your heart. Look at your life as a throne right now. Only one person can sit on it. You or God. You may say, what about the devil? That is still you. Remember Adam and Eve with the devil? That was still their choice. It is up to you right now. Do you surrender back to your creator? Or do you say, I got it from here? Thank you for existence. Thank you for the constants of the natural universe. Thank you for my soul. Thank you for self-awareness. Thank you, but I'm going to stick my middle finger up at you and live it out my 80 years however I want. Listen, if you do that, you cannot blame God for going to hell. He sends no one there who doesn't first choose to go there. C.S. Lewis said it like this. On judgment day, only two kinds of people. Those who have said to God, not my will, but your will be done. He will say to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy the place I prepared for you. And then the others who have said, God, not your will, but my will be done. He will say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Go into hellfire prepared for the devil and his angels. Love is a choice today. And God is calling out with love, saying, will you choose me? And it's your choice. We're going to sing this out together. If you put things under the feet of Jesus, sing it like you mean it. Jesus, the greatest name of all, and then we'll dismiss. Come on. Greatest. Do you believe it today? You're the greatest love of all. You're the greatest love of all. You call me out by name. Oh, yes. yes you call me Hallelujah. out by name. I'll never be the same. Oh, I'll Come on, one more time. Jesus, the, the greatest same. love of all. Jesus, you're the greatest. You're the greatest love of all. You're the greatest love of all. You're the greatest love. You've called me. You call me out by name. Yes, you call me out by name. And I'll never be the same. Oh, I'll never be the same. You bring hope to the hopeless, and your cross brings wholeness. You bring hope to the hopeless. One time before we go, would you sing it?